It's always great to have Sam and uh, representatives from Northwest here. Haven't been there a few times myself. Uh, I can tell you it's an awesome mission, and uh, we're privileged to be able to partner with them for 40 years or more. I don't know how long. It's been a long time, but uh, we've seen some incredible things happen there and been a part of that. Great to have you with us today on a snowy weekend uh, and cold weekend. And uh, Lori and I always look at each other when we complain and say it is winter. So let me remind you, it is winter. So we're going to have some of this, but by, by Wednesday we have spring. So uh, we can uh, surely endure for a few more days. Really glad that you've uh, shared with us and uh, come with us today to worship. And we are going to be talking about missions. You know, a few weeks ago, our mission team met together, as we do every uh, beginning of every year, uh, to decide what missions we're going to sort, uh, support for 2024. And it's an awesome time. It's a great time to be together. Uh, you'll be able to um, talk about what's going on, hear about various things, but also to give money away, uh, which is great. It's always great to give money away. And uh, I wanted to let you know that your giving makes it possible for us to be able to do that uh, and support some incredible ministries uh, like Northwest. Uh, but this year, because of our released initiative, perhaps you remember that from a couple years ago. Uh, last year, we're never going to forget, we paid off the debt. And so we were able to add $15,000 to our mission budget for 2024, uh, which is great. A great way to, um, to, to spend some of that money that we're saving in interest. And uh, we're going to uh, support two brand new missions. One of them is Hippo Valley Christian Mission in Zimbabwe, which has an orphanage. It has uh, 16 full-time preachers, a Bible college, two medical clinics, and 20,000 children in Christian education. So that's kind of cool to think and hear about that. The second mission that, we're gonna, that we added is Commission Encounters, uh, which has missionaries in Honduras and Dominican Republic, and which hosts uh, mission trips, both nationally and internationally. And they've asked me to be on that board, so I'll definitely be telling you more about that particular mission. So we're excited to, to add those two uh, missions, and we also budgeted money to be able to help people take mission trips. And so that's one of our big things this year is we're going to have be doing more mission trips and making those more available uh, within the U.S. and beyond. So I'm excited about that. And we'll be giving you more information, obviously, on our missionaries, but also opportunities as the year goes on. With these two miss missionaries that we've added, our missions, we now support almost 20 missions, both in the U.S. and around the world. So uh, you guys are definitely making a difference in places like Haiti, uh, with little children uh, like um, Sarah and um, the other, other child that they mentioned there. That's amazing that we can be a part of that. Well, we're going to study the book of Acts, which we've been for a few weeks, no months now, let me correct that, that basically records the mission efforts of the early church. You know, Jesus gave the church its mission when he, uh, right before he went into heaven, he gave the, the, the church a, a mission. We call it the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And it basically says, you go and make disciples, make the followers of Jesus by bearing witness to what you have seen and heard. And, uh, and whenever you do that, you will teach them, you will baptize them, and then you will teach them to grow and mature in what they've learned about Jesus Christ. Today here at Journey, we call that in our slogan, our, our uh, uh, vision statement, to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus, to point people to Jesus, then whatever it takes to move them along that journey. And so this was a sending mission by very essence of what it was. It was a sending mission. And uh, so our series in the book of Acts, cleverly, is called Sent. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was sent into the world. 
that God sent his son into the world. And now that we, uh, as his followers, we're being sent into the world to make disciples for him. The apostles were sent. In fact, that's what apostle means. It, it means one who is sent. So they were sent by Jesus to go out and to share the message. Now, you and I are not apostles, obviously, but we're still sent. And if we're going to be obedient to the Great Commission, the command that still stands for you and I today, then we have to be uh, involved in missions. But let me just say this, that not every Christian is a missionary. Uh, we, we are all sent, we are to go, but, but there is a distinction between a missionary and we can kind of reserve that term missionary for those who are intentionally sent out from one place to another. They, in other words, they are sent by a sending group, they are sent out. Some of us are going to be sent and others of us are going to be sending. And I think that's so important because there are some people who are called into that ministry to be sent. They're willing to go. Uh, we have people in the Mideast. We have people in India. We have people all over the world that are willing to go. Most of us, we're not willing to go, are we? <laughs> that's why we're here. But also we have a great task because we are the senders because they can't go unless someone sends them. And so that's our role. Some of us will be sent, others will be sending, uh, 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 will, will be sending and will be supporting. And so we get an idea of what missionaries are all about when we look at what Jesus did when he was sent from heaven. While Jesus oftentimes met the needs of people, for example, he would heal people, restore some to life again. Uh, he, he would feed people, you know, provide for all of their needs. But his real mission, his primary purpose is found in Luke chapter 19, where he says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus did not come to heal everybody. In fact, I'm pretty certain he didn't heal every, pers every person in his day who was sick. I'm pretty sure he didn't raise every dead person that he heard about. Jesus' ministry was not primarily to do those things. He didn't feed everybody every meal. Jesus' purpose was to come to seek and to save the, the lost. Now, of course, his ultimate purpose and the way he fulfilled it was to die on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven and allow us to be with him forever. That was his purpose, to seek and save lost people. And then before he went into heaven, as I said, he gave the, the mission to the church to continue. So our mission continues to be to seek and save the lost. And so here we are 2,000 years later. We are Jesus' church doing his work, continuing the mission on. But I have to be honest with you and tell you that the goal and the challenge sometimes is to keep the main thing the main thing. Because as you know, there are so many good things to be done and there are so many needs out there in the world. And it's so easy for the church sometimes to get distracted. We saw a couple weeks ago as we talked about the history of the church, that in the past the church has kind of gotten involved in its culture, in the secular world, and even the political world. And, uh, and what it has done, it has watered down the influence of the church. It's taken away the spiritual authority of the church uh, and its influence of the church. So there are a lot of great things that we could be doing. And there are a lot of things that the church is called and asked to do and be involved in. But we want to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. So keep that in mind. We're going to jump into our study in their scripture in Acts chapter 13 and 14. I told you we're going to speed up a little bit here. We're going to be taking two chapters uh, today and moving through them and kind of pulling some, some thoughts from them. But remember that back in chapter 12, where we left it, about the church in Antioch. 
So what we're seeing here is a, a strong, maturing church in Antioch where believers were first called Christians. We talked about that two weeks ago for sure. And then we move into Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Matan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to do the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here we see a list of names, but we see two names that jump out at us. One of them is Barnabas. Remember him from Acts, early part of, uh, of the book of Acts, where he was one of the first ones to show generosity by selling land and homes and, uh, and giving that to the poor. And then we see another man, Saul, that we know later becomes Paul. And so they were in the church there in Antioch. The church was growing. Great things were happening. Uh, they were becoming identified as believers or followers of Christ, even among culture. And the Holy Spirit, who had been leading them, recalled throughout this entire study the, the work of the Holy Spirit. The church began on the day of Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit moves here, moves there. We see the Spirit in every, every uh, chapter of Acts. The Holy Spirit prompts the church at Antioch to choose these two men, Barnabas and Saul, who were very willing for the work to which I've called them. And that was mission work. They were going to be sent out. So they fasted and prayed to confirm this leading, and then they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul, which was just a way of kind of anointing them and commissioning them to go and do this work, and then they sent them off. Now, this is notable because this is the first time in the Scripture that we're actually seeing a church intentionally sending out Christian workers. Keep in mind that we got individuals that are going, and persecution is driving people out, but now you've got a church that's setting a pattern here of selecting men, in this case, to set them apart for their mission and send them out. And this was important. They're going from the church, the safety, security of the church, family, the community, and they're going out into many places where they will not have that. So this is kind of the first of, of mission journeys. And this is also going to be the first of what will become three missionary trips that the Apostle Paul is going to take and is going to lead. In verse 9, it notes that Saul was also known as Paul, and from this point forward, he is now called Paul. So from this verse forward, we don't have to worry about Saul anymore because we're talking about Paul completely. And remember, a few weeks ago, we just said that um, uh, the, the name Saul was his Jewish name. So when he was a Jewish leader, he would use that. But the, the name Paul was more of a Roman or a Gentile name, and it would get him, he would have more influence and he would more credibility just being called Paul. So going forward, uh, we're going to be referring him to Paul. Hope I can remember to do that. Now, also we noticed here that he and Barnabas were set apart, but Barnabas seems to be the greater of the two. He's the encourager. He's the one that went and got um, Saul and brought him to be uh, at the church at Antioch. But now we're going to see in this trip that Paul begins to take the lead. And so from this point forward, uh, it used to be Barnabas and Paul. Now it's Paul and Barnabas uh, as he was the greater of the two. So that's kind of a, a, a turn that's taken there. All right. So this first trip was the first of Paul's missionary three, three missionary trips. And I got a map up here, not that you have to know, but it's kind of interesting to see what's going on. This was a trip, this is a real simple trip that we see. They began over in Syria and Antioch there. They left Antioch, they sailed to the island of Cyprus, and uh, then they, they went to a city in Pamphylia called Perga, then to another place called Antioch and Pisidia, then to Iconium, then to Lystra, then Derby in modern Turkey. That's in the area of Turkey now. 
And they retraced their traps back to the starting point in Antioch of Syria. Now, while the, the trip was really pretty short, we're going to see in these other missionary trips, this was really a kind of a short trip. Um, and, uh, although it was a long trip in that, that day and time, but it was pretty eventful. For example, in Cyprus, they met a man there who was the governor of the island. His name was Sergius Paulus, and he was a Roman governor. The Bible says he was an intelligent man, but he wanted to hear about Jesus. However, he had one of his attendants, a man by the name of Bar-Jesus, an interesting name, Bar-Jesus, who was a magician and a false prophet. And Bar-Jesus did not want Sergius Paulus to hear about Jesus. And so he tried to prevent them from even getting in to speak to him. You know, it's kind of interesting that the name Bar-Jesus meant son of the Savior. But he was anything but that. In fact, Paul said to him, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, the hand of the Lord's against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. So they had the power. This is interesting that most of the time when they worked miracles, it was to heal someone. Here's a miracle to blind somebody uh, because of what he was trying to, how he was trying to prevent the gospel from being spoken. And so Bar-Jesus was blinded, seemingly didn't repent through this, blinded for a season anyway, but the governor went on to become a believer in Jesus Christ. In Perga, uh, John Mark, a young man who had gone with them, their traveling companion, uh, John Mark was excited to go, but like a lot of young people sometime, he must have gotten homesick. Perhaps uh, uh, the persecution or just the travel was hard on him, and so he left and went home. And I, I share that with you because it's going to be an issue. It's going to cause a rift down the road. Uh, but keep that in mind, and we'll come back to that in, in a couple weeks. And uh, there was a conflict between Paul and Barnabas because of John Mark. In Antioch, uh, uh, Pisidia, which is map's gone. But it was the other, there were two Antiochs, which isn't unusual. There are a lot of cities that have shared names. Uh, but in Antioch and Pisidia, uh, they also had some uh, a conflict because the local synagogue leaders firstly, first initially invited them to speak. And they were receptive to the gospel. They wanted to hear what was being said. They wanted to hear about Jesus. But then a week later, uh, the people's uh, attitude toward them turned and uh, the Jewish leaders became jealous because they were getting more attention they, than they had. And so they resisted the message of the, of the gospel. And so Paul and Barnabas made an important pivot. They began preaching specifically, uh, if not exclusively, to the Gentiles. And the Bible says that many of the Gentiles believed the gospel. And Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So the leaders knew who to, who to go after, right? Go after the leading women, the wealthy women, the ones that were in control maybe, but also the men of the city, and they stirred up all this persecution. Again, keep in mind, these were traveling missionaries coming through, and the home crowd didn't like what they were saying and the attention they were getting, so they pushed them out of their towns. So then Paul and Barnabas traveled to a city named Iconium, which is an eastern city in the region of per uh, Pergia. Uh, interesting that Iconium still exists today as a Turkish city of Conga. So uh, that's an ancient city, but um, probably doesn't have a lot of ruins at this point. Uh, but it is a city that's been there for many, many years. Once again, Paul and Barnabas went into the synagogue, which is where 
the believers would always gather. They would go, you know, come together. That was their habit, the Jewish synagogues. And they would almost always begin there, but sometimes they would get pushed out because the Jewish leaders didn't approve of their message. They went there in the synagogues. Uh, but uh, again, in this city, the Jewish leaders uh, forced them out as well. And uh, Paul and Barnabas began performing signs. Uh, if you look at that chapter there, uh, they were doing these signs and wonders and miracles. And, uh, but at, the, more they, the more they did, the more their opposition grew. As you can imagine, eventually they became aware of a plot to abuse them and, and attack them. And so they left and they went to a city called Lystra. And here Paul healed a man who was lame. And the locals there who saw the miracle believed they must be gods. And so they had many gods in that day. So they called them gods. Uh, they called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. And even, in fact, the priest of the temple of Zeus uh, thought the, had a human person who was now their god. And so they brought uh, bulls and wreaths to sacrifice to them. So you can see things are going sideways because they're thinking now that they're some kind of uh, Greek gods. And Paul and Barnabas tried to redirect that. They tried to tell them, no, we're not gods at all. We're just here, men like you. Uh, we're trying to focus on Jesus Christ and uh, prevented them from giving them the sacrifices. But then the Jews followed them from Antioch and Iconium, uh, continued this opposition that they had started, and they ended up riling up the local crowd and they convinced them to stone Paul. And so um, they went from thinking they were gods to within a few days, thinking that they were uh, worthy of being stoned. And so they actually took Paul and stoned him. Again, he was kind of the leader of the crowd. And they stoned him outside the city, dragged him outside the city, and left him for dead. But the apostles, the disciples gathered around him. Paul got up and went back in the city. I mean, this was the kind of tenacity this guy had. This is what, what Paul was inspired to do. You know, he got beat up, stoned, left for dead, gets up, goes back in and preaches again. Preaches again. Uh, but obviously the crowd was hostile. So they left there and they went to Derby. And it says there they won a large number of disciples. And after time in Derby, Paul and Barnabas went back the way they had come, kind of going backwards, working back their way through Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch, and Perga. And in every city, it says that they encouraged the believers there and strengthened their, tr their faith as they would continue do doing throughout their future missionary journeys. And from there on, they skipped a journey or uh, skipped a trip over to the island of Crete. They went straight back to Antioch of Syria where they had started and told the church what they had done. So here's a kind of a pattern here. They sent them out. They went and had these experiences and shared the gospel. And then they came back to report and so that's kind of what we do here on a regular basis. We have our missionaries. Um, we consider them. We support them. And then they come back and tell us how things are going. And we get other reports as well uh, that are given to our mission team. So uh, a lot of things happened on the trip. A lot of things that, that we're just kind of glossing over because of time, smaller issues, several distractions like Bar-Jesus, healing a lame man, the people wanting to worship them, uh, Paul being stoned. Uh, but the trip really gives us kind of a, some insight into what missionaries are really supposed to do. So what does the work of a missionary look like? Uh, maybe we ought to have Sam come back up and tell us more about the practical side. I know from his point of view, there's a lot of administration that he does, a lot of directing, a lot of managing uh, or, uh, the uh, uh, programming and funding and everything like that. But let's kind of boil it down to what the purpose is. While missionaries oftentimes provide services like schools, we talked about that, orphanages, and medical clinics. 
They do all these things so that they can influence people and they can communicate the love of Christ. It is meeting their needs, but it's also giving them a, a platform, a place to speak. You know, I was reading, um, and I remembered this from my missions class in college. I was reading this morning about what they called Rice Christians. And that was kind of a derogatory term that was used uh, many years ago about people who would come to Jesus or would like be baptized or make decisions only because they came for a bag of rice, you know. And uh, so there, there has to be some discernment used about how do, you, how do you give this help in such a way that people aren't just responding because you're giving them something. But how do you do this in a way that they see the love of Jesus, their needs are being met, but somehow you communicate that this isn't the greatest need that they have, that the greatest need is Jesus Christ. And then they can, the missionaries can accomplish the church's true mission, which is threefold. And this is what I wanted to share with you. Three things that missionaries do. First of all, they make new converts. They make believers, new believers. The most important thing that we can do is to convert people to Jesus, whether it be in Haiti, uh, whether it be in India, wherever it may be. Here in the United States, the most important thing we can ever do is to bring people to Jesus. It's their greatest need. It doesn't matter if people are full and healthy and clothed and housed and doesn't matter what other problems we solve. If people don't know Jesus when they leave this earth, they're going to be lost. That's what the Bible teaches. So our goal is not just to keep people comfortable and help them, even though that's needed, even it opens the door. It certainly makes us feel good about doing that. The greatest need that they have is salvation. And that's the driving force that propelled the church to send them and the force that compelled Paul and Barnabas to go. And that needs to be the force that compels us today. Acts chapter 14 says, when they had preached the gospel of that city, and had made, they made many disciples. There were many people who came to know Jesus, many people that we'll never know the names of. People, they didn't go in and feed everybody and heal everybody. They did some miracles and signs and wonders, but primarily they just brought people to Jesus Christ, which is the most important thing. But the second thing that they did is they created new communities. In other words, they planted churches in these cities. Each of these places where the missionaries would go, where they visited, they not only led people to Jesus, but they established some sort of structure of a church before they left. Because when people accept Jesus, they have to belong to a community. They have to get connected somewhere if they're going to survive, if they're going to last, you know. It's so important if they're going to remain faithful and grow. So Paul was a missionary winning people. He was also a church planner. And what we're going to see as we look at these missionary journeys of Paul is that Paul would go in and he would establish a very young church. And uh, we would imagine that with little resources, you know, with little, um, little teaching, very little, you know, money or Bible, to, no Bible or anything to teach. Imagine how difficult it was to have a church in that day. But they would establish these and then they would return back on, on uh, later journeys and they would meet with them to encourage them uh, to be faithful. They might confront sin, which we read about in the Bible. And they would just build up the church. Also in verse 23, it says that they appointed elders for them in every church. Can you imagine what that would be like? You know, in a church of brand new believers, you've got to find the leaders, the people who are the most mature, you know, and most, uh, uh, not, only, not spiritual necessarily, because they didn't have a lot of depth, but, uh, but, you know, mature in, in seriousness that would lead the church. 
And so these new churches here needed leaders to survive. And while these were very young Christians, they did appoint elders to lead them. And I'm sure there were times they had to go back and reappoint elders and correct elders because these were very young Christians again. So they made converts, they brought people to Jesus, and they, they established churches. And then the third thing they did on these journeys is they nurtured these churches and believers. In verse 22, it says, they returned, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So this is what discipleship is all about. Was it the best of situations? Probably not. You know, Paul would probably love to have left a church planner and a preacher, an evangelist in every town that he went to, but he, he simply didn't have that, uh, that luxury to do that. But they did want to make sure that, that people were discipled, strengthening and encouraging them, helping them to grow, helping them mature in their faith. And not only was this done by follow-up visits, but also maybe even more importantly, by the letters that Paul and the other apostles wrote that are preserved for us today in the Bible. So what's amazing is that we have... These letters penned by Paul and the other apostles that were written to the churches that deal with the problems of that day, but also deal with the problems of our day as well. We have Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and all these letters that were written to churches. And we need to value those. We, that's why the Word of God is so important. It's truth uh, that comes from the very source, the inspired Word of God. So simply put, churches and missionaries should win converts, establish young disciples in the faith, and then incorporate them into strong local churches. And that's what our missionaries do all around the world. They do those things. They do many other things that help them physically in their needs, but primarily this is the focus. Evangelism, discipleship, and church planning. That's the Bible model. Now, as true with almost every Christian doctrine, there are ditches on either side of the road that missionaries have to be careful that they stay out of. Um, when you define the mission of the church, there's always going to be some danger of making it too small or too broad. For example, on one hand, we need to avoid making the mission of our church too small. You know, some people act like conversion is the only thing that matters. To be honest with you, it is a very important thing. You know, if people get nothing else, to come to know Jesus is very important, but it's not, it's not everything. Several years ago, there were several or large uh, stadium events uh, that sought to get people to make a decision for Christ. Perhaps the most famous was Billy Graham, great, very well-known uh, evangelist that would come into a town. There would be stadium events. There would be thousands of decisions for Christ. But unfortunately, very few of those converts ever actually followed up. The percentage was just unbelievably small, just very, just single digits, a percentage of people who made a decision that night would ever actually follow up and became a true disciple. The conversion numbers were impressive, but little change occurred in people's lives. You know, Paul was persuasive, <clears throat> and people oftentimes would accept Christ the first time they heard about him, and they were baptized. It says, the Bible says that same day, that very hour, we're going to read about people in the book of Acts who... First time they heard Jesus, they, they accepted Christ, they were baptized. But he also established churches in every town he visited and impressed upon them the importance of being in a church body, being in a community to survive, to grow. And then he followed up with letters of teaching and future visits. Again, the letters we have, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. So mission work isn't just conversion, it's also follow-up, it's also discipleship. But on the other hand, we have to avoid making the mission too broad. 
Um, you know, some well-meaning Christians act like everything is mission, like everything is mission. And when you go on a mission field, uh, you're going to see needs all the time. And so missionaries will see things like improving job skills and digging wells and setting up medical centers and establishing schools and helping and supporting young entrepreneurs and, and working for better crop yields. You know, all those things are pretty important for people's daily life, Right. But I've heard of missionaries who give up sharing the gospel because they see something that's more compelling, like a, a little thing they can do, a niche they can do, and they put all their energy into that, and they kind of lose their focus on sharing the gospel. Now, all these things are great. You know, they're great expressions of Christian love and help, but they're not central to the mission. They're not central to the mission. And here's the thing. It's not just missionaries that can get distracted by things like this. It's not just missionaries because churches can have the same temptation as well. We can be tempted to focus too much on good things and miss the best things. And I will tell you that every day, or at least every week, I'll get an invitation to go do this or go do that, to be involved in something locally or, or, or statewide or something like that. It's a good thing, you know, and, you know, maybe it helps people. It's positive, but sometimes we can do good things and miss the best things which again is to win converts to Jesus and establish young disciples in the faith and incorporate them into local churches. That's what we're really supposed to be doing, to meet the greatest need of people. Everything else is peripheral. Everything else helps, but that's really where the focus of the church has to be. Now, that doesn't mean that things we do in our community are wrong. We shouldn't do them. But the question is, are we really doing the best things? And how do we use the things that we do in our community to point them to Christ? Are we just doing something, you know, and there's never any mention of Jesus? Uh, how can we better use our outreach, our programs, our ministry, whatever it may be, to bring people to Jesus Christ? And not only is it a broad picture, but maybe it's a little more personal thing. What about you personally? You may not be a missionary, but are you being used or are you on mission for Jesus? You know, our values as a church are connecting, sharing, connecting, growing, and sharing. We feel like that's kind of a, a, a simple flow and progressive thing. We connect with Christ and with the church. We grow in our faith. And the more we grow, the more comfortable we are sharing our faith with other people. And I believe that these align very closely with the biblical mission. If you look at what Paul did, he would go into a town and he would start connecting people and provide an opportunity for them to grow and then encourage them to share their faith with other people. But let me ask you, how are you and I practicing these simple values? If we buy into those things, how are we practicing those things? Are there people in your life that you need to share Jesus with? Are you growing? Are you connected as you should be in a church so that you can grow? And if you're here and you're not yet a committed follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know that the church's mission is all about you. Our mission is not just to have a nice warm place to come and worship on cold days, and it's not just to enjoy programming that, you know, for our kids and, and, and each other. It's much more than that. It's connecting people to Jesus Christ. Jesus came and died so that we could be forgiven of our sins and that we could have a home in heaven. And our mission as a church is to help you connect and then move on your personal journey toward Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things that came from uh, my sabbatical a few weeks ago um, was, was the fact that we need to be thinking about, as a church, thinking about producing leaders and sending people out into the, the work, the, the Christian ministry field, uh, including missionaries, pastors, ministers uh, of every sort. 
You know, we support a lot of missionaries, but we also need to be creating and making missionaries within the church. Notice that in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas were, were raised up, and then they were sent out because of their willingness to go. So I want to challenge you to think about that. How do we encourage young people to think about Christian ministry fields? One of the things we've been thinking and brainstorming about on our staff is how do we encourage people who have a love for the Lord who might be willing to go and be a missionary or be a minister or, or a, a associate minister or whatever it may be in some way? How do we do that? And we have some ideas. We, we've got some things that we want to do. But let me just say this. One of those places I think it comes from are from parents. Parents who are willing and in, to encourage their children to consider ministry and to think about that. And maybe even adults who choose to say, you know, I believe God may be sending us. And then coming to us as a church, we want to be a sending church, a missionary sending church, as well as a missionary supporting church. So I think we need to be thinking about that. People who are willing to go, who feel the call of God, the Holy Spirit moving them. And then we as a church determine, can we send these people forth into the mission field? You know, I'm kind of excited about that. And it's always great to have missionaries to come and kind of just show us that they're real people. Sam's a real guy that God called to be a missionary. And all of the missions that we'll bring forth are people that are led by God to go do so. So I encourage you to think about that, pray about that. If you're not being sent, then commit to being a sender. That you encourage, maybe pray for, maybe write our missionaries and encourage them. And certainly we as a church support them financially as we send them out through our giving. But the challenge is to make sure that people are one to Jesus. It's the most important need that people have. And it's an important need that people not have not on the other side of the world, but right here in Woodford County. And so let us be a place where the light always shines, where the message always goes out about Jesus. The most important thing, the main thing is the main thing. It's Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this your word this morning. God, thank you for men like Paul and Barnabas who are courageous God, who put aside their lives, their careers, even their families. God, they uh, forfeited, forfeited having um, families and homes and possessions to be willing to travel, to go, and to take the message. And for God, for the churches like Antioch and churches like ours, Lord, that have a, a passion for lost people. And if we're not sender, sending, uh, being sent, then we are senders, God. We're willing to fund financially and through prayer and encouragement those who will go. Lord, I pray you help all of us think about not only that as corporately as a church, but individually, that God, the call that you've sent. And Lord, maybe that call is to go across the street, across the hall, wherever it may be, to share Jesus with others because there's such an amazing need. Father, I pray now that as we just come to a time of response that you would help us all ponder these things and think about our role in it, not only as supporting, but, but perhaps even being sent, Lord. And God, I pray you would move us to you, move us on our journey toward Jesus. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship him. And if you want someone to pray,